Welcome to Bladder Buzz, the podcast where doctors, researchers, and consumers discuss bladder health and function for those with neurogenic bladder. On today's episode, we welcome Dr. Mandy Rounds and Dr. Katie Forster to discuss bladder-related papers. And now, Bladder Buzz. I'm Dr. Mandy Rounds, a researcher at MedStar National Rehabilitation Hospital and MedStar Health Research Institute in Washington, D.C. My work focuses on improving the quality of life of those that have had a neurological injury and disease, such as spinal cord injury, multiple sclerosis, stroke, and spina bifida. Joining me today is Dr. Forrester, a pediatric hospitalist and researcher at University of Pittsburgh School of Medicine. Thanks for joining me today. Thanks so much for having me. So today we're discussing your article called The Association Between Urine, Neutrophil, Gelatinase-Associated Lipokaline, and UTI in People with Neurogenic Lower Urinary Tract Dysfunction. So that is a mouthful for sure. (laughs) So let's call it urinengal for the rest of the podcast. But can you tell our listeners what is urinengal? Sure. So NGAL itself is a protein that's expressed or present in a lot of different parts of the body. It's made by a variety of different cell types within the body. And so I'm specifically interested in urine NGAL, and that's made by a type of tissue that lines the urinary tract, referred to as the urinary epithelium or urethelium. NGAL itself, it's a protein, and it's part of like a larger family of proteins called lipocalins. And this family of proteins it helps to move molecules around the body. Specifically, this one is involved with the movement and processing of iron. So it has a biological use within the urinary tract. However, we know that one of the, one of the things that urine NGAL does is that it has what we call a bacteriostatic effect. So it prevents further growth of bacteria within the urine. And because of that, we found through a variety of initial studies that it could serve as a marker of urinary tract infection through this role in preventing bacterial growth. So the study is focused on looking at whether or not urine NGAL, which we know can prevent back or prevent further bacterial growth, can be used as a marker of UTI in people with neurogenic lower urinary tract dysfunction. Okay, so UTIs or urinary tract infections are a huge problem in those with neurogenic bladder or neurogenic lower urinary tract dysfunction. This population you looked at was spinal cord injury, multiple sclerosis, and spina bifida that use intermittent catheters or an in-and-out catheter. And you captured their self-reported urinary symptoms that were being experienced throughout the course of an 18-month study. How did you use those urinary symptoms with this urine NGAL biomarker? Sure. So the use of urinary symptoms can be quite subjective, such that, you know, what someone reports as pain, someone else might report as pain, which might not be, which may be a symptom of UTI in someone and which might not be a symptom of UTI in someone else. And a lot of this is, is very specific for each patient. And especially when you're talking about the population of patients with neurogenic lower urinary tract dysfunction, there's often a degree of of lack of sensation at various points. So symptoms can be somewhat subjective and therefore using the same combination of symptoms for every patient generally results in inaccurate results. So we used this tool called the USQNB, and this is a very patient-centered tool 
which each patient or each person with neurogenic lower urinary tract dysfunction can kind of rate their own symptoms. And then we categorize it into larger categories. And we use those larger categories of symptoms together with the growth of bacteria or the lack of growth of bacteria in urine culture to determine who does and doesn't have a UTI. Okay, so we used urinary symptoms in this study because unfortunately there's no gold standard for a UTI currently. So this categorization that you used for risk of a UTI, no UTI, unlikely UTI, or likely UTI is very novel. So let's talk about your categorization of symptoms. What was considered a no UTI group according to the symptoms patients endorsed and their urine results? Absolutely. So no UTI is frankly the easiest one. Um, no UTI is, a, is someone who doesn't have any reported symptoms and has no growth on the urine culture. So that group is pretty easy to define. It gets a little trickier once people start having symptoms and when you determine when those symptoms are due to UTI and when those symptoms are due to something else. So how about that categorization then with likely UTI and unlikely UTI? How did you differentiate those? Yeah, so we use these categorizations again from this tool, um, the USQNBIC, and this is a, a, a patient-centered tool which helps those with neurogenic lower urinary tract dysfunction categorize the symptoms that, that that are unique to them. And the authors of that tool categorize these symptoms into larger categories. So the categories include what those authors describe as actionable. And these are things like feeling feverish, having increased tone, increased frequency or discomfort associated bladder spasms, things that those authors, including some other symptoms, things that those authors considered needed to be addressed by a physician. Then there's a category that's called bladder symptoms, and these are associated with like bladder-specific symptoms. So increase in urinary continence, increase in urinary urgency, pain of catheterization, things like that. There's a category of urine quality, and these are changes in the urine itself. So that includes cloudy urine, foul-smelling urine, or dark urine. There's a category of aches and pains, categories having to do with the bowel or abdominal tract, and then constitutional symptoms. So and again, we borrowed very strongly from this tool to help the categorization here. So we defined our category of unlikely UTIs, people that had any constitutional symptoms, aches or pain, bowel and abdominal symptoms, urine or bladder symptoms, and less than 10,000 colony forming units of bacteria on their urine culture, or any actionable symptoms in combination with less than 10,000 colonies in urine culture, or no symptoms and less than 10,000 colonies. So it's, it's a little confusing. We tried to parse out what we think would be the concerning symptoms, which are in our likely UTI category. And in our likely UTI category, our patients that have at least one actionable symptom and one bladder symptom and have more than 10,000 colony forming units on urine culture. Yeah, and I guess I'll put in a little plug. If you do want to learn more about the urinary symptom questionnaire for neurogenic bladder that uh, Dr. Forrester is talking about, we actually have a podcast on that as well <laughs> with a lot more detail of all of these different types of symptoms you are talking about on this patient-centered, patient-reported outcome. But back to the article, you had 27 patients that provided 104 samples, which is a lot of samples. <laughs> 
with a range of one to eight samples per patient. The majority of them had a spinal cord injury and were male. What did you find for those that weren't having symptoms? So we were we were very interested in this group without symptoms because this allows us to look at the association between NGAL levels and growth on urine culture. As I mentioned earlier, we know that urine NGAL prevents further growth of bacteria in the urinary tract. And some very early work, we know that there's what we call a dose-response relationship between the amount of bacteria in the urine and the amount of, of NGAL in the urine. So we were interested in, in these patients that didn't have any symptoms and therefore did not have a UTI. Did we see a relationship between the level of bacteria and the level of NGAL? So we took a bunch of patients that didn't have any samples and we categorized them based on people with between 10 and 100,000 colonies in urine culture, more than 100,000 colonies, or no growth. And again, we found that there was higher levels of urine NGAL in patients with higher levels of bacteria, so that people who had more than 100,000 colony-forming units on urine culture had the highest level of urine NGAL. This level of NGAL is high, much higher than patients that had negative cultures. But there's no difference in the amount of urine NGAL between in patients with that middle level of bacteria, so between 10 and 100,000, and either the level of NGAL in patients with a lot of bacteria or no bacteria. And again, this is very supportive of early work in this area, showing a relationship between the amount of NGAL in the urine and the amount of bacteria in the urine. Okay, so as an overview, what would you say is the relationship of the varying levels of urine NGAL in this population? So when we when we add in people who have symptoms, we know that in people with neurogenic lower urinary tract dysfunction, simply the presence of bacteria in the urine does not mean that person has the UTI. We know that patients with neurogen, people with neurogenic lower urinary dysfunction often have bacteria in the urine in absence of symptoms, and that's why this group was so interesting to us. So when we started adding in symptoms, we anticipated that people with bacteria and symptoms would have much higher levels of urine NGAL than those with no symptoms. And that's what we found. We found that people who have in our likely UTI category, which again is categorized as symptoms that are most suggestive of the UTI and the presence of bacteria in the urine, have the highest level of urine NGAL in comparison to people in our unlikely UTI group, which are those with symptoms that we don't think are as suggestive of the UTI in combination with bacteria in the urine. And also those with our likely UTI had higher levels of NGAL than patients with no UTI, which again are no symptoms and no bacteria in the urine. Okay, so let's bring this back to the possibility of this being incorporated in a clinical setting. So mm -hmm. as a physician, where do you see this type of research being used in the clinical setting? So what I could really use as a physician, it's really easy to not start antibiotics when you have someone in front of you who has no symptoms and feels well. There's frankly no reason that patient would probably be seeing me. And if I were to get a urine culture that grew, doesn't matter what it grew, frankly, if the patient looked well, I wouldn't start antibiotics. But the challenge comes when you have someone who comes in and is clearly sick with something. And, you know, in people who have these intermittent catheterization, we always think about the urine and whether or not there could be a urinary tract infection. So what, what I think urine NGAL would be really, really helpful, and if you have a patient that comes in, looks sick, when you check the urine, it looks like they might have a UTI. But again, we know that 
the markers that we traditionally use to diagnose UTI in people without neurogenic lower urinary tract dysfunction aren't helpful in people who do have neurogenic lower urinary tract dysfunction. So if you could have a patient in front of you who doesn't look great, whose urine looks like they might have a UTI, I think a urine NGAL could be really, really helpful because if it's low, you can feel fairly confident this patient doesn't have a UTI and you can start looking elsewhere for what's causing the patient's symptoms. So that's really where I see the use of NGAL, not so much in telling us when a patient's sick, because we have a lot of ways of telling us when the patient's sick, mostly our clinical acumen or our clinical experience. What I think we really need is a marker to help us say when we should think about something else as a cause of symptoms in people with neurogenic lower urinary tract dysfunction. And that's where I think urine NGAL comes in. This is fantastic, and I think definitely has the potential of moving the needle towards a gold standard for diagnosing urinary tract infections. Thank you so much for joining me today in discussing your novel article and the potential of this urine NGEL biomarker. Any last comments? No, it's, it's been fun chatting with you. And you know, I, I think we're still a ways away from having, incorporating this into clinical care. But I do think this results are really exciting and I'm, I'm looking forward to further validating the use of NGAL in people with neurogenic lower urinary practice function. Thank you so much. Thank you. Bladder Buzz is presented by the Rehabilitation Research and Training Center on Neurogenic Lower Urinary Tract Dysfunction. The information presented in this podcast does not express the views of the individual's employer or affiliated institutions. The content is for informational and reference purposes only and should not be used as a substitute for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment or as the sole source of guidance for decision-making. We advise you to always consult with a physician before making any healthcare decisions or for guidance about a specific medical condition. Thanks for listening. Come back soon.